of it and turn with me to John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 1 and 2 and then 10 through 14. We finish our Advent series today with the Christmas season, the beginning of the Christmas season that starts today, this Christmas Sunday. We've had a, a season, an Advent series that, if, uh, that began with two destructions, two destroys, Answering the question, why did Jesus come? Jesus came to destroy the devil, and Jesus came to destroy death. Today and last Sunday, we looked at two makes. From two destroys come two makes. He came to make us new creatures in Christ, and today he came to make us the children of the living God. In the middle was that passage that we looked at where Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and save those that were being destroyed by the devil, destroyed by death, in order to make them new creatures in Christ and to make them children of the living God. So this entire Advent season, dear friends, we have been presented with Jesus standing right before us, the one who would come to do a work for us. I wonder if you've seen him this Advent season. Have you actually taken notice of the very one who stands before you as the Savior of the world who makes you children of the living God? As we end this season, let's look at it yet again, asking that same question, why did Jesus come? And let's answer it. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands. Our Father in heaven, this Christmas morning we pause to open your word that we might hear your voice through the power of your word and the work of your spirit speaking to us again, answering the very question that we've been asking lo these many weeks, why would you send your only begotten son, our savior? And today we are reminded this Christmas morning that we are children of the living God. Behold what manner of love you have lavished on us that we should be called your children because that's exactly what we are. So this Christmas day, Lord, open our eyes then to behold again wonderful things from this portion of your holy law that we might celebrate this Lord's day, this Christmas day, in the goodness that's ours by grace and grace alone. We pray it in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, and amen. Please, friends, be seated. This past Friday night, Jennifer and I made our way out to Love Field Airport because our daughters flew in, our oldest daughter from Chicago, Illinois, and my youngest daughter from Los Angeles, California, and we made our way up the escalator to the end of that little gang plate where all of the passengers come down, where all of the big stop signs are, and you can't go past this magical little section there because of security. 
And we sat there for a while because we got there a little bit early, believe it or not. We got there early and we were watching all of these other people standing there making absolute fools out of themselves. You know, where they're standing there and they're looking way down the aisle and, and then they start going like this, jumping up and down and jumping up and down. They spot whoever it is that's coming way down there and for, you know, 30 seconds or so, they're waving their hands and jumping up and down and I'm kind of going, <laughs> what an idiot. Look at this person, yeah. And then, of course, uh, Melissa's flight landed. And so I make my way up there, and I'm looking down, and then, oh, there she is, little Melissa. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> and I see her way down there, and she comes, and we give her a great big hug and all of this good stuff. And then Allie's flight was supposed to be there at the same time, but weather delay out in California or some kind of a delay. We sat there for two more hours, and then Allie's flight came, and we made our way back out. We're watching people jump up and down, and we're looking, and we're looking, and we're looking, and all of a sudden, here she comes. Hello, parents. I'm like, <laughs> didn't even recognize her. She changed her hair color for, you know, the fourth time since I've seen her last. And I didn't even recognize her. There she was standing right in front of me. One I recognized, but one I didn't recognize. And we're, oh, hey, Allie, there you are. And grab hold of her and hug her. And we didn't do the jump and the dance and the wave and all of that good stuff because we didn't even recognize her coming down the aisle there. I wonder, my friends, as we end this Advent series, the question has been asked, why did Jesus come? He came to destroy the devil. He came to destroy death. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to make us new creatures in Christ. And today he came to make us children of the living God. Look what John does in his gospel account here. These words of focus, this stress, in verse 10, he says he came testifying to the one who was the light of the world. And then in verse 14, we have seen his glory. And then again in verse 18, he has made himself known to us. In verse 32, this testimony, he gave this testimony that I saw the Spirit. In verse 34, I have seen and I can testify that he is the Son of God. In verse 38 and 39, come, he replied, and you too will see. Again, he says in verse 41, we have found the Messiah. And then lastly, in verse 45, again, he tells us, we have found the one that Moses has told us about. Why do you suppose John keeps using all of these different words to draw our attention to Jesus Christ? He does so because he wants to be certain that we see him, that we recognize him that we see him from afar and that we are welcoming him as he ushers life abundant and free to us. Behold the glory of God that is ours. We have beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only who has come to make us his children. He uses these words, friends, so that those of us today, like those then, wouldn't miss the very one who's standing right before them that we wouldn't fail to recognize the Savior of the world who came to give us eternal life. So what does John do? He gives us two people. 
which is typical. He gives us light and darkness image throughout his entire gospel account. But he gives us two people here, those who actually reject the Savior because they didn't recognize him, and those who do recognize him and receive him. The very passage that we read this morning from John chapter 20, verse 31, is a summary of the entire gospel. It comes almost at the very end of John's book. And he says, These things I have written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John summarizes his book in that verse, John chapter 20, verse 31. But before he gets to that, he gives us a picture here of those who have rejected the Savior. He came, but they did not receive him because they have rejected him. Now, isn't it any different than what we've been reading throughout all of the scriptures? The children of God, the Israelites, ethnic Israel, as we read from the very beginning of the Bible, didn't they reject the very one who is the mouthpiece of the Lord God, of Yahweh himself? We read that with uh, the patriarchs. The patriarchs tried to draw their attention to Yahweh and the people rejected him. We read that in the time of Judges where the judges tried to direct the children of God to Yahweh and they rejected him. We read it in some of the kings, the good kings, where they tried to call God's people back to Yahweh and they rejected him. And then we read it in the major and the minor prophets. Here he is before you and yet they have rejected him. We find the same thing here in John's Gospel. The passage of the verses that that precede ours in verse 5, John says, the light of the world has come, and they did not understand that light. And then in the very next verse, verse 6, John says, I have come to testify to that light. I'm not the light, but I am pointing to the one who is the light. And then in chapter 3, a couple of chapters from now, chapter 3, verse 19, he will say, We love the darkness more than the light. There are those among us, dear friends, who see the Savior as someone who is unknown to them. They have not received him. They have rejected him because the Savior is unknown. They don't see him. They don't know him. He has no part in their life. This past week, Jennifer and I went with some friends down to the sing-along in Messiah, down at the Church of uh, the, the Incarnation, a wonderful time of Handel's Messiah. And when we came out of the parking garage, I wanted to turn left, but I realized that this was a one-way street, and I had to turn right. There was no yellow stripe up the center. There were only white stripes up the center. And so I had to turn right, and I saw as soon as I turned up the street just a little bit, here came a Ford F-250, great big old thing, a lot bigger than my little Tiguan. And he was in what he thought was his far right lane, but he was actually in my far left lane because he was going the wrong way on a one-way street. And all of the cars behind me were having to deviate out of their lane because this guy was going the wrong way and absolutely didn't even know he was doing it. And that's exactly what John is presenting for us here. There are some who have rejected the Savior because he is unknown. They know absolutely nothing about him. And so they have rejected him. They're going the wrong way on a one-way street, and they don't even know it. But I'm guessing that probably is not many of us that are gathered here today. It's Christmas, you may be saying. Pastor, it's Christmas, and I'm in church. (laughs) Instead of at home 
opening presents that are under the tree. I was even here last night at the candlelight service. I'm, I got a twofer. I was at the candlelight service on Christmas Eve, and I'm in, in church on Christmas morning. It's not that, I, that he is unknown to me. I would simply say this, my friends, that the Savior is rejected by some because not, not so much that he is unknown, but because he is overlooked. Maybe that describes us more than someone who has no idea they're going the wrong way on a one-way street. Follow me just a second, would you please? Think about the words in Isaiah chapter 5. Remember in Isaiah 5 where the prophet gives us a beautiful picture of the vineyard? And then he says the vineyard is really the children of God. The passage that you were supposed to have read this morning for our scripture for prayer and meditation is the parable in Luke 20 where Jesus gives the parable of the, the vineyard. And there are the tenants of the vineyard who kill the very son of the owner of the vineyard as he comes. And Jesus is laying out this entire passage, this entire parable for them. And they're knowing in their mind, I mean, they're Israelites. They know what the prophet said in Isaiah 5, that the children of God are the vineyard. And now Jesus says, here's the vineyard, and the son of the owner comes, and you killed the son. And so they realize, as the passage goes on to say in verse 19 of chapter 20 in Luke, they say... He's talking about us. And so they seek to attack him, to kill him, because Jesus literally came and attacked their very lifestyle. He rocked their world. And perhaps that describes more of us today. That Jesus has come into our life and he has rocked our world. He's going to change everything. And we don't want to let go of those things that we love more than our Savior. Think about John's gospel in chapter 8, 9, and 10. Just a few chapters following our passage this morning. We read about this story of the blind man that Jesus brings healing, gives him sight, and it drives the religious people crazy. Who has healed you? Who has healed you? Who has done this, they keep saying. And the blind man simply says, listen, I don't know what you're talking about. All I know is this. I was once blind but now I see. And then we get to chapter 10 of John's gospel. And he says, I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly, more full. You are in my hand, in the hand of the Father, and no one can snatch you from there. I have come to give you eternal life. Religious people oftentimes, like you and me, my friends, Overlook the Savior. Oh, we know him. We know things about him. But we overlook him because, you know, he demands a lot of our time. He demands a lot of our attention. What is most important to you in this life that you are living, dear friends? What is most important to you this Christmas day for me to get finished so that we can get home and enjoy those wonderful brunches and presents and all of those things? Or that you have been given life eternal, abundant and free in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he came to make you a child of the living God. Sometimes we overlook this very thing. He's not as important to us as the things of the world. And so we reject him, dear friends. Many times we reject him in pursuit of those things that we think will give us greater pleasure. But look at this wonderful first word of verse 12. 
yet in the NIV. It's the same Greek word that's translated but. And how many times have you heard me stand in this pulpit and say, there's that little three-letter word conjunction, but, because now we have a beautiful picture, John has set up the bad news. There are some who have rejected him, going down the wrong way and don't even know it. And those who are going the wrong way and do know it, but they just don't care because they care more about what they can get out of their own life, their own satisfaction, whatever it may be. And then John says, but or yet. There is a whole nother picture of those that did recognize the Savior. Look at verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born by God, not of natural descent. He gave the right to become children of God. The key word in that verse, dear friends, listen, the key word is become. He gave the right for us to become the children of God. Because by nature, you are not the child of the living God. By nature, you are corrupt in every part of your being. By nature, you are a sinner separated from God just like me. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, who ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and death, spiritual death, entered into the world. We now, natural descendants of them, are born in sin. Our nature is original sin. And from original sin comes actual sin. We love the darkness more than the light. But we have now become the children of God. It is by grace that we have been saved through faith. This is why grace is my favorite word. Because by nature we are dead in our sins and transgressions. But Jesus Christ came, born that Christmas day for the very purpose of making us his children. That we might become the children of God. He gave us the right, or the same Greek word there that we could translate authority. He gave us the authority to become the children of God. Not by anything that we have done. Not by our own efforts. Not by our own works. Not by our own good looks. Not by our own good lives. He gave us the authority, His authority, to become the children of God. How did He do that? Look at verse 13. Children not born of natural descent. Children not born of human decision. Children not born of a husband's will. But children who are born of God. This is the exact same thing we were talking about last week. From 2 Corinthians 5. The old is gone. The new is come. We have been regenerated. There's the fancy word. We have been born again. This is what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You must be born again. And the teacher of the law said, what do you mean by that? Must I, must I climb back into my mother's womb? And Jesus says, you're a teacher of the law and you don't know this? I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a new birth, a spiritual birth, regeneration, that you would be born again. The old would be gone. He came to make us new creatures. The old is gone. The new has come to bring us, reconcile us, regenerate us back into this relationship with the Father whereby we would become his children. If you're here today, friend, listen, please, very carefully. If you are here today and you think, yeah, 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 I hear you, and someday I'm going to get there. 
Someday, someday I'm going to get there. Someday I'm going to say, okay, today is the day. I'm going to trust you now. I, I'm, I'll trust you now, and I'll, I'll become uh, a, a new creature. I'll be born again. I, I, I'm waiting for that, that day. I, I, there, there's coming a day when I, when I will say, I'll, I'll trust you now. That is no more secure, friends, than the New Year's resolution that you're going to make one week from now. You're going to make that New Year's resolution to lose some weight, to exercise again, to stop doing this and start doing that. And you know as well as I, just quit doing it because you're not going to keep it. You can't on your own make yourself a new creature in Christ. You cannot make yourself born again. We are dead in our sins and transgressions. It's what I told you last week as well. You can stand over any coffin and scream as loud as you want. Get up! Get up! But a dead man cannot make himself alive again. We were dead in our sins and in our transgressions. But God, yet God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ Jesus. Here is regeneration, friends. Here is recognizing the very one standing before you who now clothes you in his righteousness, makes you the child of the living God so that you become the child of the living God. The scales fall from your eyes and you actually recognize the Savior standing before you. You recognize that he has wooed you, he has drawn you to himself, and you see your sin for what it is, and you hate that sin with a passion like none other, and you love your Savior with a deeper passion like none other. Then, and only then, can you say, I have become the child of the living God. I have been born again. I see my Savior for who he is and for what he has come to do. I heard this quote this week. Listen to this very short quote. People die the way they live. People die the way they live. We are so prone, dear friends, we are so prone to go ahead and live our life. I'll get to that later. I'll get to that later. Because today is, day is a, today is a day of satisfaction. I can sleep in on this Sunday morning. Or I can wait and become something later in life. I, I can give that up later in my life. People live the way they die. We march through life and we end up dying, living the way we live today. But that is exactly why Jesus came. He came to make us new creatures in Christ and he came to make us the children of God. He has made us that. We have become that, children of the living God, such that we now see, see the glory of our Savior, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Does that describe you, friends? This Christmas day, does that describe you? You recognize the one? You're jumping up and down because you see your Savior has come for the sole purpose of setting you free from your sin and giving you the gift of eternal life. 
Some time ago, there was a Dateline special on. I like Dateline, and I, I was intrigued by this one because it said, do you think that you're an observant person? If you think you're an observant person, you need to watch the next Dateline clip. Well, I think I'm an observant person. I've told my wife many times, if I weren't in ministry, I would have been an FBI agent or something like that because I am so observant. And then I'll miss something, and she'll say, and you want to be my FBI agent. <clears throat> I watched this thing and it said, okay, here we go. We're going to send out people and they're going to come dressed with white shirts and white pants and then other people with black shirts and black pants and you just count how many people are in white and how many people are in black. And so you're watching the screen. I thought, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this. And so I watched and out of the left-hand screen, here comes somebody dressed in white and they're dancing around and then a black, dressed in black and then a white and a black and I'm going, one, two, one, four, seven, and I'm counting and I'm counting and I'm counting and they're all dancing and spinning around and more, more and more and more and, I'm, and they're spinning out and going this way and I'm counting, I'm counting, I'm counting and then it ends and I say, okay, I got it. I got this number for the black, this number for the white. I got it, I got it, I got it. And they say, how did you do? How'd you do? Here's the answer. This number black, this number white. I went, whoop, whoop, I got it. I got it. I was dead on. And then they said, but did you see that which was right in the center of the screen? Like, huh? What? So let's slow it down. And then they come out, uh, you know, dancing like that. And then about halfway through, this person dressed in a gorilla outfit comes <laughs> and is spinning around and dance stops right in the middle, kind of shakes like this, and then turns around and goes right on out the side. And I missed it absolutely, completely. I missed that very thing that was right in front of me, the gorilla dancing among people dressed in black and white. And you want to be my FBI agent. <laughs> Dear friends, this Christmas day, Jesus is not dressed in a gorilla suit. And Jesus is not dancing before you, although the psalmist says, the Father delights to dance over us with joy. The Savior is standing before you saying, I have come for this reason, that you might become a child of the living God, that you might be born again. He stands before you today saying, come, come, receive this very gift that I give to you that will change your life, not only here, but the life that is to come, that will change you absolutely completely. Friends, have you recognized him? Or have you rejected him? Today is the day of salvation. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, what a joy it is to hear the gospel this Lord's Day and this Christmas Day. We're reminded again, even as we've been looking at these various passages, that you came. You came for a purpose, and that purpose was to destroy the devil, to destroy death, to seek and save us, that which was lost to make us new creatures in Christ, and now to make us your children. As we worship you this morning, Father, may we be reminded of that as we leave this place here in just a moment and make our way back to our homes with our families. May this be our celebration today, Lord, that we are your children, that we have become children of the living God because you have given us new life in the very Savior of the world, the light of the world. Seal that to us today. We have much to celebrate. So thank you for this goodness and grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.